This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, whether that's Rovers throwing in a drab nil-nil in the Championship or taking Newcastle all the way to a penalty shootout in the fifth round of the FA Cup, You'll always be winning with McDelivery. So, the only thing left to say is, are you in? Order now on the McDonald's app and you can also get rewards points delivered too. So, the ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants 18+. plus. Rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. When Cynthia came to TurboTax, she had just launched her new side gig, a true crime podcast. I'm a first-rate detective with a golden voice. As her TurboTax expert, I made her second income count by guaranteeing 100% accurate filing and her maximum refund. <clears throat> what did she do with that refund? Find out next week. Switch to Intuit TurboTax and make your moves count. See guarantee details at TurboTax.com guarantees. Experts only available with TurboTax Live. You are listening to the 4,000 Holes Podcast, brought to you by the people at brfcs.com and sponsored by the lovely people at The Terrace. Welcome to another episode of the Roundtable Show here on the 4,000 Holes Podcast. I'm delighted to be joined tonight by three people to talk about a true Rovers legend, namely Tony Parks. listen all the way to the end for your chance to win a copy of the book 110% Legend, Tony Parks, The Authorised Biography. So I'm delighted to be joined on this episode of the 4000 Holes podcast by three special guests. We've got Liam Hayes from Hero Books in Ireland, who'll be talking about uh, his publishing career, I guess, and his, with specific reference to the uh, to the Tony Parks book. Suzanne Geldard, who actually wrote the book, and, of course, the legend himself, Tony Parks, his daughter, Natalie, who has been a guest on the 4000 Holes podcast before, so it's very much a welcome back. Thank you so much. It's really great to have you on. We'll kick off with Liam, if I may. So, Liam, tell us a little bit about Hero Books and where you got the idea from, first of all, for, for publishing a book about Tony. Yeah, well, we, um, I've got to say, first of all, Ian, that it is awkward for me because I've been chatting with Natalie and Suzanne, it seems, I don't know, two or three years, is it now? <laughs> yeah. And 
I meant to get over and say hello, have a coffee, uh, shake hands, hug, whatever you want to do. And we haven't done that. So now we are Zooming each other at this late <laughs> stage, which is terrible. I know the club intends having an event uh, early in the new season and we're going to get a chance to formally uh, formally have our hug then, I hope. That will be terrific, um, yes, I'm sure. Eurobooks is... Um, we're the largest pub, sports publisher in Ireland. We publish about 30 or 40 books a year here. And really what we look to do, Ian, is we look for captive audiences uh, all over the country. And in Ireland, that could be an audience that's devoted to Munster rugby, could be an audience that's devoted to hurling or Gaelic football, which are our own indigenous sports here in Ireland. Um, and we bring books out for those, for those communities. So if we see a community of, say, 50 or 100,000 people who love the Munster rugby jersey and love watching Munster rugby, and it's generational. They've taken that, taken that from, down from their mother and father and their grandparents. And we look at that as being a community that we want to serve. And we want to present them with a book that's going to really impact on them and is going to, at the same time, honour someone amongst them who has done them proud. So that's very simply the message of Hero Books. So we are doing this in Ireland. We set out four years ago, pre-COVID, seems a long time ago now, to present the same publishing programme in the UK. Right. And we were stopped in our tracks, obviously, by COVID. Our first book in the UK, very very briefly, was um, I did get over to Barnsley and I met the great Barry Murphy. So Barry Murphy is an example of the type of uh, person we love to honour. Barry is the record appearance holder for Barnsley. Uh, an amazing man, a lovely, lovely man, uh, gave his life to Barnsley. And um, he also managed, uh, he also uh, was coached, first coached to Leeds United for four years. Right. Um, we published um, Barry's book. And then we, in, in recent times, we published again, I'll give you another example. Eric Skeels is the record appearance holder in Stoke City. Played over 700 times for Stoke City, can you believe? Uh, he was from Eccles, uh, but he gave his life to Stoke. And... He played with everybody. Uh, he played with Gordon Banks. He played with Alan Hudson. He played with Jeff Hurst. He even played with the great Stanley Matthews. But Eric's story had never been told, ever. And, and we said, wow, this is an opportunity, not just to meet a great man and to get his book written, but also to, to if you'd like, dig up his story, present his story to an audience that maybe knew him once upon a time and an audience that know very little about him. So that's the type of the quality and the type of person that we like to work with. And luckily, I came across a BBC uh, clip where Natalie and her dad, Tony, were sitting on a couch and Natalie was talking about her dad. And I said, we have, I have, first of all, I, I jumped on to, sorry, I'm yapping on here. I jumped onto Google. I wanted to find out what had Tony done. Was his memoir written? Was his autobiography written? And I found it hadn't. And uh, I said, this is a man who is, exactly the type of person who we want to work with his story is amazing he is amazing he's given his life the loyalty that he had to one community and one club is amazing we said we, we want to do we want to do tony's book and uh, obviously we knew tony was was ailing and i got on to touch base with natalie she was very kind and uh, listened to me uh, took on board what I had to say, and she seemed very happy for us to proceed. And then we needed a writer, and uh, as luck would have it, yes, <laughs> yeah, you always need a writer. We happened upon an amazing writer who, a friend of Natalie's, and someone 
I won't give the game away, but someone who got her first break, if you like, in journalism from Tony himself. So uh, to to then meet Suzanne uh, and then to start working with Suzanne and Natalie on the book was just the perfect chemistry as far yeah, as I'm yeah. concerned. I knew we were going to build a book. Uh, and even though during this period, you know, Tony's health suffered, I, I knew I was in great hands with Natalie and Suzanne and I knew we were going to build a beautiful book that was going to be the ultimate tribute to the man. And I think that's what this book is. Fantastic. Natalie, from your perspective, had it always been in your mind to to have a book about your dad or was this a new idea coming in from left field? You thought, hmm, there's something in it. Yeah, I've never I've never even considered having a book written about my dad. Um, it, was, it definitely wasn't something that I had planned. But then once he got his diagnosis of Alzheimer's yeah. and I started to understand a bit more about what that meant, um, and how rapid it kind of has an effect on the person. It just became really important to remember my dad, how he would like to be remembered, um, and also for my children, because they haven't got that opportunity to know what he did. So then when Liam rang me and suggested, you know, we'd like to write this book about your dad, what do you think? I, I thought, yeah, it's the right time. Um, I needed something that was positive, this book was it. Something to look forward to, something to contribute yeah, to, something definitely. to get there. And the choice of a writer. Uh, would you like to explain to our listeners how that came about? Because I think that's a lovely, lovely story. Well, I've, I've went to school with Suzanne. We've known each other for a long time. I'm not going to say exactly how long, but a long <laughs> time. Um, so when Liam kind of suggested, was the only one that, that I knew that could take the story on? Um, there was only one person in my mind um, and if Suzanne wasn't willing to do it then it wasn't going to happen right she knows me she knows my dad um, she's followed Blackburn Rovers for a long long time um, and she's an outstanding writer and I just knew that she would kind of tell my dad's story in the right way yeah and so she just has sympathetically authentically yeah and, and firsthand as well I think because she knows my dad and she knows me it's more than just a book to her you know she she's put a heart and soul into it and we we laugh about it and say it's kind of blood sweat and tears because literally <laughs> I sometimes feel guilty because I think because she knows me it stopped to walking away yeah and I think she probably had that pressure at times especially when she was homeschooling yeah and you know, she's an absolute rock star and we've got this amazing book that I'm just going to cherish forever Fantastic. And I can't thank her enough for that. And I can't thank Liam enough for actually putting it all together. Because I think without his idea, it wouldn't happen. Yeah. So I think things like this, it needs a coincidence of sort of events to come together and participation. Mm-hmm. It's certainly come together. It's a fantastic read. We'll, we'll get into it in more detail. But let's bring let's bring the lady in herself. Suzanne, you, you just sat there while people have been pouring plaudits over you then. But t- again, tell our listeners about how, how, well, you don't have to give away how many years. But, but you and Natalie do go back a, a wee while. And Tony was instrumental in giving you the perhaps the first seeds of a journalistic career. Yeah, that's right. Um yeah, myself and Natalie were at school together, so I'd got to know Tony through Natalie. Um, and I'd, from being 10 years old, I wanted to be a sports writer. So it was just the sort of perfect situation. A very happy really. coincidence, is it? Yeah. So when it was an activities week at school, there were like lots of my peers going on Duke of Edinburgh award schemes and um, 
fun days out to theme parks and things like that. Um, but I wanted to do the school newspaper and there was a quite a small group of us doing it. Um, and I sort of put my hand up to do the sports pages. And um, yeah, Tony was a big help in me filling those sports pages. I do still have it somewhere, but I've not do been you? able to locate it, and I'm really annoyed. <laughs> oh, you must you must go up the loft or whatever and dig that out. That would be fantastic to. Uh, well, if you, if, you, if you do find it, we will happily publish it on our website. Yeah, that, that, that would be an absolutely tremendous, uh, tremendous artifact to have. I think it would really accompany it quite nicely. There's one project it's in particular. <laughs> Sorry, yeah, I'm making it sound like it's pre pre Roman, isn't it? Yes, as we sort of said, 400 years ago when you were at school. No, 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 not at all, not at all. Uh, there's one wonderful anecdote in the book and again I don't, I don't want to give too much away but I think this does set the context and it t- talks about the relationship where you had a particular project to do and Tony helped you in a particular way. Yeah it was a home economics project and I, I think we had to come up with um, our own idea for what it was going to be and um, I was just quite interested in um, nutrition in sport so yeah that was another perfect opportunity to, to use Tony again really. Um, I just printed out of a lot of different surveys of what footballers ate before, during and after training games, things like that, how they fueled their bodies, just to see if there was any sort of correlation. I think it, it came out about the time when Alan Shearer said that he ate chicken and chicken beans, beans, was it, yeah, before yeah, yeah. a game? The chicken and beans pie at Levers on the way to the ground. Yeah. So I think that's what brought about the idea. So I just I was just curious just to see what anybody else ate before a game really and um, so yeah Tony was a huge help in distributing those um, surveys and, and collecting them back in for me. So you you were ahead of the curve before Arsene Wenger got there with Arsene. Again maybe maybe there's a book in that footballers recipes I mean, that, that's that's maybe the follow-up we do from this and all the rest of it. I think that, that's really terrific as we sort of said that you and Natalie had that relationship going back you knew Tony he'd been so helpful and so you agreed to take yeah. the project on at the time how long did you think that this would take and how were you feeling about it because I, th- I think I'm right in saying this is the first book you've written yeah it is yeah I've always wanted to write a book but honestly I, I didn't really know how long it was going to take um because it was something so new to me yeah. um something that I had thought about for a long time and thought about how I would go about it and th- there have been a couple that I'd started but they'd never really got off the ground obviously finding a publisher as well is is the hard part so this just it it was just um a dream scenario really but let's move on to that then the structure but how did you decide how to put it together how because it it is written in a very shall we say a conversational style like i can hear the voices of the people that that talk to you how how did you arrive at that as a format by accident really i'll be honest um (laughs) once i'd once i'd spoken to the majority of them, I, I, it was just kind of a thought process about how um, I was going to piece it all together. I mean, there was an obvious chronological order yeah. with his childhood into football, into coaching, into the caretaker managing. So, that yeah, there was an obvious timeline of events. It, it was difficult initially to figure out how I was going to script it, yeah. really. And, yeah, it just... There was just a, a light bulb moment, really, that it just seemed just natural to let the people do the talking rather than paraphrase things and potentially take things out of context. It just made sense to just let them tell their story of Tony. 
I think it comes across really, really naturally because of that. Uh, and it's a very easy read. Uh, I read it in one sitting. I just, I, I, it was one of those things, oh, well, I'll, I'll just pick up, I'll just read a couple of chapters and get a flavour for it. And, and, and I just found that it drew me into the next chapter. And my Rover supporting career, started career, started in 1969, just at the time that, that Tony signed for Rovers. And so I think there was Tony, Tony Parks and Derek Fazakli being sort of like two mainstays <clears throat> through Rovers throughout those years. Tony obviously stayed for, for, for much longer, but Derek ebbed and flowed. And then to see him in the book as well and, and him recounting some of his tales was really, really lovely. But the, some of the bits that I, I particularly like, though, were the uh, the childhood flashbacks to Sheffield. I have to say, as a resident of Sheffield, I, I know exactly where you, where you mean and drive, drive through that district into, into the city centre quite often. So Suzanne, tell us about the process of writing the book and how you how you started to actually get it down on paper, as it were. Yeah, the first um, conversations that I, I had about it, um, I'd actually just been furloughed. It was a strange time, but the the call came at kind of a good time, really. But of course, there was a lot of uncertainty about what was happening in the early stages of, of COVID and lockdown. And the book, in the end, didn't come together how I imagined it would. I thought that I would be meeting people at really nice coffee shops or hotel lounges, having a, a drink and a really good conversation face to face. But some of them were uh, were able to be done face to face, but a lot of them um, had to be done digitally or, or on a phone call, which... The difficulties were getting hold of certain people. I had um, a lot of help with that from various people pointing me in the right directions, giving me the numbers of people who knew people. There were certain hurdles that that I had to cross. Um, And I think, you know, Natalie has alluded to the fact that she, she said she wouldn't have. She probably thought that there were times when I thought that, you know, what have I taken on? What have I done? And I must admit, there, there was a lot of self-doubt about how I was going to finish it and if I was going to finish it. And because of, of the difficulties, and not just because of COVID, because obviously I, I had to return to work at some point, um, the day job resumed again, um, and my job actually changed while I was in the process of writing the book as well. So... I ended up in a situation where I was doing more hours and covering a brand new football club. So there was a lot to take on. And, th- and there were times when the book had to take a, a back seat um, a little bit. Um, I was always on my mind. I had to sort of juggle my priorities. And and on top of everything else, when, when I first started the book, I was also homeschooling as well. So <laughs> there, there were, yeah, there were a lot of hurdles to, to cross and a, and a lot going on and a lot of plates spinning. But my focus was always Tony and Natalie and Natalie's two daughters to have something for them. Obviously, it's important um, from a financial point of view that we, we sell a lot of books so that we can help Tony from a financial aspect. But also from my heart, there was it, it was driving me to, to do it for Natalie for all the reasons that, that she's talked about. I'm so happy that she feels the way that she feels about the book and we've had a lot of amazing feedback and it's made all the hard work so worthwhile that's really that's really reassuring to know how pleased are you with your efforts and and what it looks and feels like now how proud are you of the final product 
oh, holding it in my hands for the first time, it's like holding, it was like holding a newborn. It was, just, <laughs> it was such a surreal experience because you think, is this actually real? Is this, have I actually done this? And um, the day that I, I got it, I arranged to meet Natalie and that was really emotional when when she held it as well and you know when it was actually real but I know Natalie I think she's read bits of it she she's read it before it was sent it back to Liam and she's read bit of it since um to her dad and um and possibly to her girls as well I know she's read bits about if she's anything like me I'm really struggling to to read it again partly because of the emotion involved in it partly because I'm really worried that I've got a mistake <laughs> or look at something and think, oh, I wish I'd done that a bit differently. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, yeah, I'm so proud. And and as much as I've done it for for Natalie's, for Natalie and her family and for Tony, and I've done it for my own family as well because I want to show them that it is possible to challenge yourself. And my, my two boys, you know, we one of them can read quite well. The other one... He's not at reading age yet, but he knows that mummy has written a book and he recognises it. So that's lovely from from my point of view. That's fantastic. As you say, not only have you produced something wonderful for Natalie, but you, as you say, you've got something, a legacy for, for your family as well. So it's all come together really, really yeah. superbly. It's for my mum and dad as well, because um, my dad's sadly no longer with us, but my mum and dad were season ticket holders. Lastly, uh, they were on the riverside for, for many years. My granddad, is, my dad's dad, my granddad, I don't know if people might remember him. Anyone who parked on Branch Road um, in Lower Darwin in, now let me think, probably early 90s, um, there was a plot of land where he lived and Pudgers used to park there. And, and sometimes people would get blocked in. So my granddad bought a high-vis jacket and took it upon himself <laughs> to turn that into a car park he didn't charge anybody he just wanted to make sure that everyone could get in and out that the neighbors weren't blocked in Fantastic. and it was all organized and he he ran that for years and he honestly christmas and end of season he would get bottles chocolates all sorts um, and he didn't really drink <laughs> so then they would get past um so yeah i don't know people people might remember him Fantastic. I, I, I didn't park at that side of the ground back in the day. I have to say, I used to park up on the hill at the Manxman and walk down. But part of me now wishes, obviously, I walked past your ground, particularly at Christmas, if you oh, had surplus bottles to give away. He was in the newspaper and everything. <laughs> that's, that's, a, that's a really marvellous story. That really is terrific. I thought you were going to say that you started charging people five quid a head or something and retired <laughs> so that I can now lives in the Bahamas. How often do you get free parking close to a ground? But no, he just did it so that the neighbours weren't blocked in and so that people would, you know, anyone who parking there could get in and out. With, that's very with altruistic, that's, I have to say. That's incredibly <laughs> altruistic. So fair play to him. Natalie, from your perspective, uh, how much fun was it to like going back and delving back through those tales with Tony's family and going back through the old photo album and stuff like that? It was a bit of a mixed feelings for me because obviously that part of my dad's gone now. Yes. Um, so it was very emotional kind of going back through the pictures. It kind of reminded me about I miss my dad. I miss that man. Um, but equally, it's I'm really proud of who he is and what he's achieved um and it's it's kind of I, I think the teacher head of me kind of I found like his old school reports <laughs> and 
you know, when he was when he was quite small, he was really good at all his subjects, always good at PE. But then as his PE and his football took off, he also played cricket. Um, his other subjects seemed to dip a little bit. And it's a, you know, you can kind of see where he's made that decision that actually I'm really good at sport. I'm going to push forward with that um, stuff maths. Um, so I enjoy, I enjoyed finding, you know, kind of looking at that side of him because all those conversations he's had with me about applying myself and making sure that I did, you know, I did well in maths and I did well in English. It was just like pot kettle black, Dad. Absolutely. So Absolutely. I did, you know, I enjoy finding that side out about him and and kind of, you know, finding photographs of him winning at the sack race because he loved, you know, they went to Skegness on holiday all the time. They had a caravan there um, and he clearly loved it. He loved it as a, a little boy and he loved it as kind of a young man. Um, and I just think that kind of, outdoorsy rough and tumble life that he had growing up contributed um to the man he became you know he he took nothing for granted you know he was never big-headed about any of the success that Blackburn Rovers had he was the same with absolutely everybody and I think that's the thread that goes through the book that anybody who met my dad whether it was um, a megastar manager like Kenny Dalglish or Graeme Souness, you know, had the same opinion as a fan he just met in the supermarket. You know, he was exactly the same. You know, he was really humbled. He just loved his job. He loved Blackburn Rovers. And I'm just so glad that that is what goes through the book. It certainly it, does. It is my dad. And it's, you know, it's it's what I'm hoping in time when I read it back will give me those happy memories um, at the minute, I, I do cry when I read it I because imagine. I miss him. I can imagine. I miss him. But equally, I have that great pride that I feel really lucky that, yes, I'm losing my loved one and I'm losing him quite rapidly, but he's there. You know, that memory is never yeah. going to be lost. I can't have those conversations with him because he, he can't. He can't kind of tell me about these things, but they're there in that book. And I think that was part of the reason Suzanne went down the route she did because my dad couldn't verify anything, anything that these men had said. She couldn't talk to my dad about it. But yeah, I, th- I think I'm really glad I did it or I'm really glad that I convinced Suzanne to do it. <laughs> well, there you go, Suzanne. More praise coming your way. Yeah, I want to just add in there because obviously listening to Natalie and uh, Suzanne and uh last kudos to Suzanne I promise you uh she she was a trooper normally when I do a book like this I would sit down you know with the writer at the start and we would plan a roadmap and we would be you know we, we would find out exactly where we want to go talking about word count you'd be doing all that sort of prep and um with COVID and the different disruptions in our lives and the way our lives turned upside down at times we were all holding on Suzanne never lost track she was obviously had her own life to lead but she kept a hold of this and produced a remarkable book uh, as as a consequence. And then the, obviously the other trooper is is Natalie because you know Natalie is an only child, and I I was really waiting with expectation to see what photographs will be provided for the book. And Natalie has spoken about them, and I knew the book was good. I knew the script was good that I received from Suzanne. And next step was okay, how are we going to? How are we going to illustrate this? What sort of imagery are we going to have available to us? 
I wasn't certain what Natalie would be able to find, what she would want to find. And when I publish a book, I love two things to happen. I love the text to be a narrative in its own right. And I love the imagery to be another, a second narrative so that you can, you pick up the book and, and just look at those photographs and just know what this person is about, what this story is about. The photographs that, that Natalie found and unearthed and presented to me when I, when I first saw them, I just couldn't wait to phone her and Suzanne and say, listen, wow, this is amazing. Like, not only are they beautiful photographs of Natalie and her mom and dad and their situation and their life, it's just a great story. The photographs are a great story of Tony's life and the photograph that Natalie speaks of from the school sports. I don't think it's a sack race. It's, I think it's Tony winning a 100-meter sprint or probably a 50-meter sprint. And he is just bursting for the line. And you see the little boy's face and his chest out. And it's a photograph that's so old, but it's just magical because it's like it was taken yesterday and somebody tried to turn it into an older photograph. And you just see Tony Parks and you just would love to be there. The moment he, the moment he breasted the line in that school sports, you'd love to have been there to meet that little boy and say, well done, you know, aren't you somebody? And that's the impact the photo has on, uh, on me. What I love about this book is that it's a book for Rovers fans and it's going to bring you back to great times. And younger people is going to hold, hold their hands and bring them back in a journey that's going to really impress them. It's a great story for Rovers fans, but as Natalie also mentioned, for her daughters, for their children, hopefully, this is a family tree. Absolutely. You know, they are meeting their grandparents, you know, Tony and his wife, they're meeting these people, they're getting to know them. And we all know that family trees are very hardly, very, very rarely built, they're very rarely constructed. Most people in life, you, you know your grandparents, you've no idea who your great grandparents are. Most of us, discard our great-grandparents. Uh, it's like, who are they? Uh, yeah, I know their names. What did they work at? What sort of life did they lead? We, we don't really investigate. The vast majority of people don't investigate. So that's how quickly we are left to one side by our the next generations in our own family. And this book is there forever, forever for uh, Natalie and her daughters and their kids. And it's going to be as prized a book in 20, 30, 40 years' time for them as it is for people now. On that same point, I was in Chesterfield before COVID uh, with the Moss family because Ernie Moss oh, yeah, was very yeah, famous. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and we were going to do Ernie's book. And Ernie, um, you know, quite like Tony, he had a very debilitating uh, health problem and he wasn't really able to, you know, talk at all. Um, it's been three or four hours in the in the house with, with, uh, with Ernie and... I was really sad. We just never got to to publish his book. And one of the reasons we couldn't get him back to the great Suzanne is that we couldn't get the right person to write it. We went through four different writers, four different people I commissioned to write Ernie Moss's book. And each time there was a difficulty and it never happened. So Ernie's family don't have his book. Right. Um, this is got the right person. Natalie found the right person, one of her best friends. And... Uh, we have a great book. I'm, I'm just so happy we made it happen. 
Yeah. It, well, it's, there's a certain alchemy there, as I sort of say. It does come through the, the authenticity, both of Tony as a person and the, the reporting of the story. As I say, it was it was a joy to read it, a real, a real privilege. And I echo exactly what you said about the photos. I absolutely love the photos, all of them. Natalie, I thought they're really good. Your, your dad was a handsome man, though, wasn't he? In his in his early twenties, particularly. I think he has a look of sort of like for, for those of a certain age, like David McCallum in The Man from Uncle. I think when he had the uh, the mustache in the early seventies, he really he had, didn't he look the part absolutely really really, really stylish it's uh, it's terrific yeah. stuff absolutely so one th- one thing that came through loud and clear uh, you've, you've talked natalie about uh, sort of like kenny dalgleish and graham sooness and the rest of it they talk about not wanting to take the job on unless tony was going to hang around and each of those guys wanted Tony to lead the team out uh, at one in one instance at Wembley and the other instance in a cup final that sadly wasn't at Wembley, it was at Cardiff. But how proud was Tony when they gave him that honour? How, how did he report it back to, to you? Um, both occasions he cried. He's cried on three occasions that I remember prior to that. One when we lost our dog, um, when his, his dad passed away. And actually, no, t- twice, because they were the two occasions that or in my memory that he cried and then when he was asked to lead the team out um he didn't expect it he just assumed that the managers would take on that role and he just was so honored to do it because i think not only for the team but it kind of showed him what other people think of him and it was just that respect that he wasn't just he was important yeah yeah, he was he was over the moon on both occasions. It was it was just really lovely for him to. He was always happy with the press, but he always liked to be kind of buzzing around in the background. That's where he was happiest. But for these two occasions, yeah, you you could just see the pride on his face when you know he got over the suits that they made him wear. <laughs> I was going to say there, there, there's a do you, you don't still have that suit by any chance, do you? Think? <laughs> no, no, I think. I think my dad probably burned it the first opportunity. The mustard suit was uh, kind of, yeah. I think the phrase of their time, I think he's yeah. a bit yeah. like the, the Spice Boys with Liverpool in the cup final that time. Yeah, yeah. Very, very much, much of so. the time, but they, they sort of didn't. But uh, it was a tremendously happy day, of course, and it was it was just yeah. fantastic to see yeah. the smiles. And I think, he did, I think he did struggle at times to hold it together because the the pride he, fe- he felt for Blackburn Rovers. I mean, you, I see it now. He, you know, you mentioned Blackburn Rovers, and he, he, he just lights up. He has that glimmer. It's his home. It's his happy place. And so just to be honoured by some men that he has always respected, he'd followed their careers, um, and for them to say, go on, Tony, it's, it's up to you now. You take them out. Yeah, I think... I think they're probably memories that are, are still locked in in his mind somewhere in that really important place. Did he? To what extent did he know that he was loved and appreciated by the fans during his playing career and his coaching and managing career? Do you know what? I don't. I don't know. I think he always kind of because he was never he was there for so long and he wasn't sacked and. Each manager that came in embraced him and kind of followed his lead a little bit in yeah. certain aspects, and he was happy to follow their lead. I think he knew, um, you know, that people did have a love for him and it did respect him. Um, <clears throat> wherever we went, holidays, supermarkets, Blackburn Town Centre, anywhere, 
you know, they were all keen to shake his hand and talk to him about anything and everything. Um, so I think I know, I think he, he did know that he was loved um, and that he still is loved. But I don't know to, to what extent, because I know right now, if he was sat on this kind of Zoom call for this podcast, he wouldn't want the fuss. He'd yeah. be like, what are you on about? You know, he just, it was his job. He loved it. He just wanted to get on with it. And the fans and everything that went a lot, it was just part of his job. But it was who he who he was. And I think that's what this book does. It kind of shows everybody, Blackburn Rovers fans, new and old, exactly who my dad was. And that's the person who needs to be remembered, not the person who now has Alzheimer's. Well, it, yeah, as I say, it comes across in spades. I think the fact that so many managers, as you sort of say, uh, embraced him, took took on board his counsel. Uh, so many players talk about him being first in, last out, and in, in mm. the training ground. Uh, there are the the you know the pre Brockhall days down at Pleasanton uh, of having to, shall we say, prepare the pitch <laughs> to make sure there are no accidents. And I think I recall in Kenny Dalglish's biography, he was talking about they had this ritual where when there was a funeral at Pleasanton, all the players had sort of got into the, the usual stances, like doffing the caps and sort of standing yeah. still while the hearse went back and then they carry on training. I mean, that, that, to, those days to me feel relatively recent, the early 90s, 30 odd years ago. And that, that's truly scary how quickly that, that time passes. But he was just a constant from... For th- well, 35 years, effectively, mm. at Blackburn Rovers in one guise or another. And I think those days, those were the days he loved. Yes. He loved Pleasanton. Yes. He loved that kind of cold and mud and kind of, you know, the old Ewood Park. As much as he loved Jack Walker and what Jack Walker did for the club, the actual early days of kind of the stone baths, and, you know, washing it, you know, my mum used to go mental because he'd bring home, like, masses of kit to wash. <laughs> Can you imagine that now? not have warned it <laughs> because there were no mobile phones. And he'd be like, no, we, we need it back tomorrow. You know, there were no kit man. My dad would do a lot with some of the other kind of behind-the-scenes players and backroom staff. And he loved that because it just made them... A great team. It's, it's his, his contributions came in so many different guises. Uh, I think that that's the thing, and it was an. I think the Dalgleish half of Parks combination was so unusual that that you would never have put that chemistry together. But each of them got something from the relationship, and the fact that the the book. I'm not giving too much away. The book opens with uh, some thoughts from Kenny Dalgleish. Um, and, and you know, Kenny clearly had so much respect for Tony, as you've said, Graham Souness, obviously, many, many other Rovers managers did as well, of course, and, and employed Tony as, as coach and all the rest of it for two, shall we say, stellar names in football to sort of say, I'm, I only want to take this job if, if Tony's still around and to respect his contribution. And the fact that I mean, he stood in as caretaker on so many occasions. <laughs> Tony Parks as their new manager. In the midst of the Kenny Dalglish speculation, Parks has been penning his own job application, reading played three, one two, drawn one. In 20 years as player and coach at Blackburn, he served under 12 managers. The faces are not quite so youthful, as he says himself, now he could become a manager of the month on the dole. From people saying you could be the manager, I could be, uh, there's no danger about that, but also could be out of a job depending on who the club bring in as manager. 
but he never let anybody down. He, I think the one that stands in my mind is, is when he took over after Don Mackay had been sacked in 1991. And I can remember seeing the team sheet in those days, of course, no no live coverage, no internet or anything like that. And he sort of be desperately trying to tune into the radio. You'd hear the side that he picked. So what on earth is he doing? And they fashioned this win. And he, he picked youngsters that clearly he could influence and that respected him and that did a job. And then when Kenny eventually took over, they'd had a terrific run of results. And he brought in all these players, the likes of Lenny John Rose springs particularly into mind, Keith, mm-hmm. Keith Hill and... David Bay and uh, Jason Wilcox. He he was the man that brought those in. And then in the book as well, Mark Atkins talks glowingly about Tony changing his position. And he won the league champion, well, the, the Premier League winner's medal from that position that Tony saw. So he had an eye for a player. He had an eye for talent. And he was clearly respected. There's, there's one Blackpool anecdote, uh, Suzanne, which I, I quite like to, to, to tell if if you don't mind, it being a Blackburn Rovers podcast, I think we can give the game away with the Gary Taylor-Fletcher one. Steve Thompson and Simon Grayson, actually, um, both mentioned how straightforward and to the point um, Tony was so that when he was working with them. They both said that he did things in a nice way, so nobody could be offended by what he said. And um, he put Gary Taylor-Fletcher in his place when he asked why he was being substituted, basically, and effectively told him that he hadn't played well, but in a very polite way. <laughs> yeah, the, the tale is, is well worth reading, because I can I can hear Tony's voice sort of saying it, as you sort of say, it's, it's killing with kindness almost. It's just the way that he sort of like, <laughs> yeah, brought it right it, down. Yeah. But there are some fantastic stories in there going through all the decades that, that Tony was involved at Rovers. There's some tremendous testimony. It comes together, it knits together beautifully, as we've already said. There are some fantastic photos in there as well, which I think is is absolutely superb. And Natalie, there's, there's your first-hand testimony as well, in which you share very openly, very candidly, just how difficult it's been. Yeah, we've, we're on we're on a bit of a, a downward spiral at the minute. Um, I'm hoping he'll plateau out for a little while. But who knows? Without Simon's dementia, it's um, it, it's awful. Yeah, it's a horrific disease. But um, this book has really helped to kind of turn my thinking around because I'm trying not to focus on all the bad things yeah. and what's to come. Um, I want to celebrate my dad, so we spend a lot of time looking back on his career, um, looking at photographs, looking through the book. Um, just looking through like clippings and all sorts of things that I unearthed while I was looking for the photographs for the book, um, just, just to try and, and kind of bring back my dad um, instead of kind of dwelling on, you know, all oh, the cost of his care and, you know, what's going to happen next. Yeah. I know what's going to happen next. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I want some quality time. Um, and I know for my dad's coming to Weewood Parks, seeing the Blackburn fans, seeing Blackburn Rovers, seeing ex-players, um, he just lights up. So we're just trying to really focus on kind of just bringing back what memories we've got and just trying to remind him of who he is yeah. and remind me as well yeah. of what he's done and what he's achieved. Because I think I spent a lot of my childhood um, just in my own school bubble um, probably a bit myth that he couldn't come and watch me play hockey or netball because he was away. Um, and I didn't really realise what he did and for how long. Um, and I think now I'm a grown-up, it's um, <laughs> you kind of realise what yeah. the world of work's about and, you know, and to sustain a job for all them years 
It's not a nine to five office job, though, is it? What, what he did? No, I mean, that, no. The... You know, he's all. You know, he was always on the phone. You know, especially when he went to Blackpool. You know, trying to call in favors for players and where we're going to train. So yeah, a lot of what what I'm doing right now is is kind of looking at the book and thinking this is what I want to do for my dad. You know, I'm kind of putting pictures in frames so that he can have them in his room. Um, and you know, there's there's a really lovely moment where um, one of the ladies from the the home that he's in read my dad and the other residents the book. Oh, we be going chapter by chapter. Um, and he can't necessarily communicate very much anymore about the stories of his life, but he knows, he knows it's him. Um, you see it in his eyes and he kind of, you know, the body, the body language and this pride there. And I just think, you know, I'd love, I'd love the book to sell lots of copies so that we can, you know, we can help lots more people, but actually it's done what it needs to do for yeah. me. Well, that, that, that's really, really great to hear. Uh, I, I'll, I'll finish talking about the book with, with five words that are mentioned at the summation of one of the chapters where we, I think, Suzanne, you're capturing what, what the feedback that you've had from various people that you've interviewed. You sort of said, Tony Parks, how to, how to describe him, loyal, hardworking, trustworthy, caring and funny. And I think that that comes across in spades. All of those traits come out in the book. I can't recommend it enough. Uh, touching on what Natalie's just said, all the proceeds are going towards Tony's care. You know, so any Rovers fan of any generation, frankly, if you're the same generation as me, you'll remember Tony playing and then moving into coaching and management, and you will really get a bundle out of it. If you're of a younger generation, I think just hearing some of the stories about what football used to be like uh, before footballers were mollycoddled in this in this day and age, and as a particular the tales of preparing training at Pleasanton and all the rest of it, will bring you back down to earth. I'll just add there, just in relation to what you and Natalie are saying, um, we we like to channel our books, you know, to the heart of of the community. So the books are available in 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 the Rover store, um, and there will be an event uh, later on in the year. And the books are also available on Amazon, uh, a paperback. And we just released the ebook uh, oh, in the last twenty four hours. Fantastic! So the ebook like both available on Amazon. If you're looking for it, not going to be in your local bookstore. You need to go to Rover Superstore, or you need to go to Amazon. Fantastic. Well, I can't I can't urge listeners strongly enough to buy this. As I say, I read it in one sitting because I, I just wanted to know what I knew what happened next, but I wanted to know what happened next from the inside and there are there are sort of revelations in there and, and humorous anecdotes which I think bring it to the fore. There's emotion as well, of course, as as we touched on because it's yeah, it's not a story that has a uh, the ultimate happy ending, but there's, there's plenty of uplifting moments in there, and it's worth it for the for the photographs alone. So I'd like to thank extremely uh, for contributing to, to this episode, Liam. Thank you so much, uh, Suzanne. Uh, you, you've had lots of plaudits thrown at you by the other panelists. So yeah, I just want to say a huge thank you to Natalie and Liam, um, Natalie for trusting me with your dad's story. Um, Liam for giving me this opportunity and for your unerring patience. It's been wonderful. Thank you. No, I'm just saying it's well worth waiting for. Uh, you know, all good things are worth waiting for. And that was especially in this case. Uh, Suzanne delivered a beautiful book. And Natalie, you can be rightfully proud of your contributions and obviously and uh, take it, taking Liam's suggestion and running with it, as they say. I think, as you said, you've got something that you can hand down to, to your children in due course. 
And my daughter has already brought it into school and has waved it around that that's her granddad and that she's got a picture in the book. She drew a picture of her granddad to put in the book that um, Liam kindly included. So she's proud already. So as I said before, it's 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 done its job. Um, and the more copies that we can sell, um, yes, it's going to go towards my dad's care, but I'd like it to stretch further for the local community of Blackburn, um, you know, to help other families that are, you know, in a similar situation. So please, please, please buy it. Yeah. Well, I think right, the new season is almost upon us. There will be people flocking down to Ewood Park for the for the first mm-hmm. home game of the season. As I say, get in the club store and buy it. Get yourselves on Amazon and buy it. Or if you want the, the e-book, as Liam said, that, that's now available. Can't recommend it enough. So thank you all for your time. Really appreciated. And uh, good luck with sales. And Liam, when you do make it over to the UK, <laughs> enjoy the hug. I'm going to be there in October. Fantastic. It's going to be good hugs. <laughs> Fantastic. Thanks, folks. Thank you. Thanks for everything. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. For your chance to win a copy of the book, 110% Legend, Tony Parks, the authorised biography published by Hero Books, just answer this question set by Tony's daughter, Natalie. So from which club did Blackburn Rovers sign Tony Parks from in 1970? Email your answer to media at brfcs.com. That's media at brfcs.com. And a lucky winner will be drawn out of the hat and contacted in due course. Good luck. Four thousand holes in Blackburn, Lancashire. It's from a Beatles song. Give it a listen. Podcast Network. It's the 90th minute. All your mates around. You've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Your mates already got booked for double dipping and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus. Serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.